Well, let's go, if you haven't already, to Psalm 16 in your Bible. Psalm 16. You have the outline there in front of you. And I have the joy of preaching tonight on an amazing psalm that I titled Joyful Living Now While Hoping in the Future Bliss to Come. This is one of the apostles' favorite psalms. Because we know from the book of Acts, it's quoted. We're going to turn there a little bit later, a number of times. Both Peter and Paul quote from it. It gave hope to the early church. And I pray that tonight it will give hope to you. And hopefully a refreshing reminder that you and I can live with joy now. Not because of what you and I read on the news. Please, please don't find joy in that. But we have joy because of the future bliss that is to come. So follow with me. Let me just read the psalm and then we'll walk through it together generally in brief. We can't go in depth, but that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll study it together. It is a meek tom of David from the title. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You support my lot The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. The key to Christian living in the now is hoping in heaven. The key to Christian living now is hoping in the future. That's what makes you and I different. It's what makes you and I distinct from the world. That our hope, our home, our perspective, our focus is not riveted to the shifting things of this world. But we have a hope that is unshakable, that is laid up in the future. But, but there's a lingering question, and it's a very practical question that you and I could ask. And that question is this, how do we live in the now in light of the then. How do we live in the now in light of the then? And that's the question for us. That's the really the ultimate question. How do we live now where we live in our lives with a perspective of the then? 
It's, it, this is the divine secret to living with joy, to living in security, because no matter the situation that you and I are in, you can have hope in the future. You can have hope in God. You can have hope in his character, and you can have hope in what he has promised. Now, let let me just show this to you, because David knew that. David had a hope, and David had a confidence in God, because he knew that Messiah was coming. He knew that. He had the Davidic covenant that God made with him, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that I'm going to raise up from you a descendant, and he's going to rule on the throne of David, and his kingdom will have no end. David knew that. He knew that Messiah was coming. He knew that there was a Savior, and he took refuge in God in the promises that God offered, you and I have to do the same. We have to do the same. But I want to show you an example of this. It's just in one way that David does it in our psalm, he looks ahead to the resurrection of the Messiah. Now, to to you and me, it's past, right? It happened a couple thousand years ago. But when David was writing, this was future hope for him. He was writing as a prophet here in verse 10, acknowledging and recognizing and clarifying that when Messiah comes, he will rise from the dead. Oh, that gave him hope. That gave David hope. He knew it gave him hope because it would give victory that my Messiah will triumph over death. It gave David hope because he had freedom that he's not in bondage to sin, but his Savior would deliver him and rise from the dead. David knew that. It gave him hope that Messiah would not only be raised, but it reminded him of the power of God that is available to him. Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1. David lives in the now while hoping in the then. He looked ahead to the resurrection. He looked ahead to heaven. And that's what gave him security in the times in which he lived. And you and I need to do the same. You and I need to live in the now while hoping in the then. This is the hope that will sustain us as we live for God in the crazy and shaky times that we find ourselves. Now, in the title, I want to show you this. In the title, it's written by David. You see it there, but there's a Hebrew word. It's in all of our translations. It's called a miktam. And the reason that the English translators left it that way is because so many didn't know how to translate it. What is a miktam? Well, according to Job 19... Verses 23 and 24, a meek tom refers to something that is written on stone in order to be preserved. In in other words, a meek tom is something you can't forget it. You've got to make sure that you remember this, kind of like write it in stone, write it on the tablet of your heart and don't forget it. Whatever David's going to write about, whatever he's going to pray about, whatever he's going to teach us, it is so important that it's almost like David is saying, write this down and remember. Now you'll recall 
A few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 14. Psalm 14 was the ungodliness of all mankind, right? There's none who does good, not even one. There's none who seeks after God. Well, then Jerry Marshall came and taught Psalm 15, which is the character of the redeemed worshiper. Uh, what, what is the character of the man or woman of God who is a worshiper of the Lord who comes to worship him? Well, today in Psalm 16, what is the life of the worshiper like when he's living with future hope? What, what is the life of the godly man like when you're really anchored and tethered to future hope? When CNN and Fox News and Twitter and Facebook and all the things, they don't frazzle you because your heart is anchored in God. What does that look like? And I think this is a great psalm for us. One commentator said, in nearly every line of this psalm, it tells us in some way of a single-mindedness. Total devotion to God, total joy in God, total worship of God in nearly every line, single-minded focus on God. I want that. Don't you want that in the life in which we live? Single-minded devotion to the Lord. So to live in the present while hoping in the future, what does that require? In your outline, you see four things. Number one, you must look above. Number two, you must look around. Number three, you must look within. And number four, you must look ahead. I'm going to clarify and elaborate on all of those briefly as we walk through together. But, but let's just allow the Lord to teach us from his word by the illumination of the Holy Spirit as we look at it together. To live in the present... While hoping in the future, number one, you must look above. Notice verse one and two. Preserve me, O God. Or maybe your translation has keep me, guard me, help me, O God. For I take refuge in you. It's, it's a prayer. I say to the Lord, verse two, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. What's, what's the point of these verses? Find refuge in God. Now that, that's easy to affirm theologically, harder to live out practically because we love to find refuge in economics, in our stability, in our relationships, in ourselves, in our future, in our plans, our agenda. We want to have stability in something we can control. And yet in verses 1 and 2, the point is we need to find refuge by looking above to God. It all begins there. And here's what's so cool. David knows his God. He brings out three different titles for God here. In verse 1, he says, preserve me, O God. It's the word El for El Shaddai. It's almighty. Help me, O almighty one. You're the all-powerful you are the omnipotent one. There is none greater than you. Preserve me and help me, O oh God, because I, I take refuge in you. I have no help but you. 
And then in verse 2, I said to the Lord, my covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, I said, you are my Adonai, my Lord. You're my master. I submit to you. All of my allegiance is to you. So David knows his God. He's reflecting on different aspects of God. He's almighty. He's the covenant-keeping Yahweh. And he is the sovereign Adonai. David is looking above, finding his refuge and his hope in God. And then he says in verse 2, look at the end of verse 2. You've got to see it in your Bible. David says, I have no good besides you. I remember my mentor saying, you know, you're a growing Christian when you can honestly affirm, I have no good apart from God. No good apart from God. Now think about that. Can can you say that? I mean, anything in life, anything in death, Anything in eternity, more on that this Sunday. Anything in heart, anything in relationships, anything in recreation, anything in our mind, I have no good apart from God. Well, we, we want to find good in the things of this world, in our flesh. We, we want to find and crave and desire and find happiness here and there. But David affirms, I, I have no good. No good besides you. Listen to Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on the earth. Nothing. I desire nothing. Oh, that that would be our heart's cry. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, trash, garbage. Give me everything in the world, and it's all trash if Christ isn't there. Can we say that with David? I have no good. Besides you, Christ, you alone, God, you alone, Holy Spirit, you alone, the true and living God, you are my good. Everything compared with you is like rubbish, trash. To live in the now, in light of the then, means we have to look upward to God. We have to look upward to God. Let me illustrate it like this. If you are looking upward toward the sun, which you shouldn't do, but if you're looking at the sun, you're not going to notice a tiny little candle that's flickering in front of you. Well, so it is that you and I need to look up to God and have our perspective captivated by the brilliance of God so that the things of this world don't captivate us because God is your ultimate good. You can live in the now in light of the future. But David not only says, look above, number two, in your outline, look, look around, look around. God's word is so clear. It's so helpful. It's so practical. Look at verse three. 
As for the saints, which the word there means holy ones, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. That's what the New Testament says. The Apostle Paul and others clarify that. Every believer is a holy one. We are saints. The saints who are in the earth, verse 3, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Now, hold on. Can, can you hear what David is saying? David is saying, as for all the saints, I delight in the people of God. I love them. I delight in them. I love them. And David calls them majestic ones. The Hebrew word refers to that which is distinguished. They're unique. There's something rare about them. There's something beautiful and attractive about the holy ones. They are, they are majestically rare. They're rare and unique. And David says, I love them. I love the people of God. To live in the now, in light of the then, we need to look around to the people of God and be reminded that loving the brethren is a necessary mark of true Christianity. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John makes that clear. Do, do we delight in our fellow believers? Do we seek their company? I mean, it's a simple test. It's a good heart examining question. I mean, it's, I suppose it's easy for us to kind of find the tarnished stain of those and to find the negative. But David doesn't do that here. David says, the saints who are in the earth, they are the rare ones in whom is all of my delight. I love them. I want to be with them. I rejoice in them. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 13? He said in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Later in John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Isn't that great? So God tells us to love other people and you think, well, how? Well, just as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Messiah is born of God and whoever loves the Father will love the children who are born of him. If, if we are born again, we're going to love the people of God. We're going to love them. We're going to want to be with them. Notice what David also affirms in verse 4. The sorrows of those who barter. They barter. What does that mean? They're, they're giving themselves to idolatry. They're, they, they are bartering for another God. Their sorrows, the Hebrew word is pain. Don't think that the ungodly just kind of have it all together. God says the wicked and the ungodly are those with sorrows, with pains. 
I don't, I don't want to pour out their drink offerings of blood. I don't want to take the names of their gods upon my lips. He's using imagery of how they would worship their pagan gods. I don't, I don't want to fellowship with them. I don't want to have my communion with them. We love the saints. I could illustrate it like this. As, as children of God, it's like we are individual cars. We're individual cars that are linked together in a train, a long train. We're, we're connected. We're holding on to one another. We are pulling each other, advancing together. We're in unison. We're in unity. We're in humility. We are moving and advancing forward as a group because we're connected to each other. Just like in a long train. That's what the people of God are like. We are connected. We love one another. We delight in each other. If we're to live in the now, in light of the future, by the way, if there ever is a world of Christian love, it is the future hope of heaven. We need to look above. Second, look around at God's people. Third, in your outline, we need to look within. We need to look within. Now, I have to clarify this. That doesn't mean look within and say, look at how great I am and believe in yourself. That's not the point at all. The point is look within and counsel your own heart. Look at what David says in verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. What's David saying? My God is wise. My God is sovereign. My God is designer. My God is the orchestrator. And I am content in him. I'm content. I mean, can't you say... In verse 6, the lines that God has put the boundaries in my life have fallen in pleasant places. What, what, what a great, contented way to say, I trust in God. I'm thankful for what God has given to me. And then in verse 7, not only does he find contentment in God, but now God is his counselor. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. God is my counselor. We need to do far less listening to ourselves and far more speaking truth to ourselves. I often will go in verses 7 and 8, uh, 2, 7 and 8, in counseling relationships. We need to bless the Lord who has counseled us in the night when we're tempted to fear, when maybe sleep is away from us and we're, and we're, and we're, and we're, and we're thinking and our mind is, is going a million miles an hour and we're tempted to just sort of wonder what's going to happen in fear and anxiety. In verse 7, my mind will instruct me in the night. Don't listen to yourself. Teach truth to yourself. Remind yourself of truth. Psalm 73, 24, with God's counsel, he will guide you until glory. Well, maybe somebody might ask, well, well, Jeff, where do I get that counsel? I want that. I want this wisdom and counsel. Number one, it comes in scripture. 
Number two, it comes, this is the flip side of the coin, not just scripture, but the Holy Spirit, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Third, we get this wise counsel through wise Christians in our lives. We need godly counselors, people to help and lead and guide us. Fourth, we get counsel through prayer. And then fifth, we get counsel through the worship, the worship of God and and the preaching of the word of God and being together with God's people. These are ways in which we can receive counsel from the Lord. Notice verse 8. Do you see verse 8 in your Bible? Notice what David says, I have set the Lord continually before me with men and women who are battling sin, habits of sin. I will often go to this verse. Here's what we have to do. You set the Lord before you. Don't set the sin before you. Don't set the temptation before you. Don't set the TV before you or media or whatever. Set the Lord continually before you. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, on the one hand, there's only one person who's lived out verse 8 perfectly, and that's Jesus. There's only one man who could ever say, I have set the Lord continually before me, and I have never veered to the left or right. Only Jesus can say that. But aren't we thankful that we have a forerunner who has lived this out perfectly. And what you and I must do is look to him and we must lean upon him. We must seek to emulate him. This is the Savior who has set the Lord continually before him. We must do the same. You know, you you think of these verses, verses 5 to 8, and we talk about looking within. Where, Where do we get counsel? Where do we get hope? Where do we get guidance? Well, we get it from the true psychologist. All capitals. That's God. Who has the right message for the soul? God. We have to go to the true therapist. Who's the healer? God. We have to go to our God who is the wonderful counselor. The way to live now in light of the then is to speak biblical truth to our hearts. And that's what David does. And then fourth, finally, We have to look ahead. We have to look ahead. And David does this. And in verse 9 and 10 and 11, David clearly knows that there's hope ahead. And he knows that there's boundless joy ahead. And he knows that Messiah's coming and he's going to rise from the dead. He knows that. And he finds joy in looking ahead to what God will do. Look at verse 9. Therefore, in light of all of that, verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will dwell securely. Did you notice verse 1? I need you to be my refuge. I'm in trouble. I need you to be my refuge. And yet now in verse 9, he says, I can rejoice. I can be glad, verse 9, I will dwell securely, not in this realm, but because I'm hoping in the promises of God. Verse 10, 
Well, what does that mean? You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. God, you'll never leave me. You'll never abandon me. This life is not the end. God, you will take me to glory. He knows that. Verse 10, then David now shifts to talk about the Messiah. Nor will you allow your Holy One. This is a term that refers to Messiah. This is the Lord Jesus. Nor will you allow the Holy One Messiah to undergo decay. I know that I have every reason to rejoice in the now because my Messiah is going to rise from the dead. He's alive. This is, this is hope. This is unshakable. This is promise. This is guarantee that my Holy One will not decay. Verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Talk about a motivation for living a holy life. Walking closely with God is always the joyful path to live. Walking closely with God is always the joyful path to live. And at God's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You see, what we need to do is remember that heaven to come is a world of joy. It is endless pleasure, unending delight, ever-present Christ, unfathomable inheritance. The question for, for you is, are you headed there? Is that your home? Can you say with David in these verses that I am glad, I am glad, I rejoice because my Messiah will rise from the dead and I know that I will be in the presence of God and there will be fullness of joy. Is heaven your hope? And let me remind you, as a believer, your citizenship is in heaven. Not here, but there. David reminds us to look ahead. I suppose illustrating this would be simple as looking at a track runner. You don't win the 400-meter sprint by looking down at your shoelaces. You're not going to win the race. You're not going to win the sprint. You've got to look ahead. You've got to look to the finish line or even past the finish line. You, you, you don't look at your feet. You don't look at the ground. You look ahead. Well, so it is in the Christian life. We don't want to continually be looking around us. We want to look ahead to the finish line, to glory that is to come. For David, it was heaven. But he also was looking ahead to the resurrection of the Messiah. I want to show you this. Go with me in your Bible from Psalms. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And I want to show you what happens on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And let's just begin... In verse 22, David says, men of Israel, or Peter says, Peter's preaching. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you 
by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Notice the quotation now in verse 25. For David says of him, and now he quotes Psalm 16. <coughs> verse 27, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Look at verse 29. This is so great. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne, David looked ahead and David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God, raised up again. Notice the end of that section, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him Lord and Christ. What's the point? Peter is preaching and he said, guess what? Our Messiah has been raised from the dead. He is Lord and he is Christ. You must worship him. He is God. Worship him. Obey him. Fear him. Even later on in Acts chapter 13, the apostle Paul is preaching on his first missionary journey. And Paul says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then in Acts chapter 13, verse 35 Therefore, he says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now in verse 36, David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was laid among his fathers, and he underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things which you could not be freed from by keeping the law of Moses. Isn't that great? So in Acts 2, Peter uses the resurrection to show that Jesus is Lord and God and Christ worship him. Here in Acts 13, Paul is quoting it to show that he is Savior. You can be forgiven in this resurrected Lord. How do we live in the now? While hoping in the then, we have to do what David did. We have to look ahead to the future hope. For David, that was the resurrection. For us, we know the Lord is coming back. We know that heaven awaits us. We know that there is infinite glory to every believer. So the secret to a joy-filled living. You know, what is the chief end of man? to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or the way Piper would put it, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Both are appropriate and biblical. And both could be found right here in our psalm. The key to joyful living is living in the now in light of the then. May the Lord help us.
to follow David's example and do that as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time and your word. Thank you for the Savior, the Messiah, our Lord who died, our Lord who was buried, our Lord who was raised again from the dead. He is our rock, our refuge, our fortress. Would you help us to live with a future hope and perspective and that that would govern our thinking and guard our hearts. In Jesus' name.